Maken Carlson's Diary Chapter 9 Dark Clouds with Silver Linings December 31, 1567 It seems a long time since I wrote anything in my MS book. A great many things have happened since I last turned its pages, but some days were so dark and sorrowful that I had no heart to write at all, and yet, hardly an hour ago, as dear mother and I sat alone enjoying the cheerful blaze of the wood fire, just before Trichon brought in the candles, and talked over the story of the year that is just closing, we felt, as well as said, that God had been very good to us, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Nahum 1 verse 7 It is a great trial to us to have my much-loved father away from home, as he has been for nearly six months, but how much better it is for him, and for us too, that he should be free and able to help the Prince of Orange, than if he had been wearing his life out in one of King Philip's dungeons, for he has been in prison, but by the good hand of the Lord was able to escape before being tried and sentenced. It is nearly a year, I think, since two very grand marriages took place at Brussels, one being that of the young and brave Baron Montigny, the other that of Prince Alexander of Parma, son of the Duchess Margaret. Great public rejoicings were ordered, and not to be outdone by other towns the citizens of Antwerp voted quite a large sum of money to be spent on shows, fireworks, bonfires and street illuminations. The streets were gay with many colored flags and banners, and the shopkeepers made a grand display of life-sized figures of the bridegrooms and their brides. I went with Trichon to see the fireworks, they were really very pretty, but I could not help noticing how little groups of people, just twos and threes, got together and conversed in low, earnest tones. One of these groups, consisting of three middle-aged men, was so near me that I could not help hearing part of their conversation. We are all under sentence of death, and it may be carried out at any moment, were the words that first attracted my attention. I wondered what the speaker could mean, soon after I heard him say, for once King Philip seems likely to keep his word, for if his last edict is carried out, it seems likely that he will soon rule over a desert. Heresy is at all costs to be rooted out, and Holland may yet count her martyrs by hundreds. We must not talk of these things in the public street, quietly said another, and the group broke up. I did not care to look at the fireworks any longer, and begged Trichon to take me home. As we turned to leave the market square, I had a strange, almost uncomfortable feeling that we were being followed, and on looking round I saw a tall, grave-looking man who kept very near us. I thought it was the one who had said we were all under sentence of death, but I could not be sure, as I had not seen his face, for it was dark, and his features were almost concealed by the broad-brimmed Flemish bonnet he wore. He kept near us for some time, but without speaking, till Trichon, seeing an old friend in the crowd, stopped to speak to her. The stranger touched me lightly on the arm, and said in a whisper, but in such a kind, gentle manner that I was not afraid, do not fear me, my child but tell your father to be careful, his name has been sent to the officers of the Inquisition as one strongly suspected of holding and teaching what is called heresy. Tell him the message was given you by Herr von Delph. But you must say this to your father when you are alone with him. Good night, and may God bless and keep you and yours. And without another word he was gone. Trichon was again by my side, and asked what the stranger had been saying. But I only answered, I think he knows my father very well, for he gave me a message for him, but I did not tell her what it was. We were a little late in reaching home, and found father, mother, my aunts Christiana and Ursel, and one or two other friends assembled in the family sitting room, about to begin the evening meal. How I longed to get father all to myself just for one minute, that I might tell him of the warning I had received, but he was about to ask a blessing, so I must wait until the meal was ended.
A few minutes later we heard a knock, and Trichon, looking pale and anxious, came in to say that two strange gentlemen, who said their business was of great importance, desired speech with her master. I thought of the warning I had received hardly an hour before, and grew sick and faint with fear, but father went out of the room in his usual quiet way. Trichon was on the alert, and told us that after a few minutes' conversation, she could not catch all that was said, but thought his help was asked for some man who was said to be dying, my father took his cloak and hat from a peg in the hall, and went with them out into the darkness. Trichon watched them, as far as she could see, but after going a short distance they turned into a passage, and she saw them no more. Our meal that evening was a very silent one, the hours passed slowly, and when the hands of the great Dutch clock in the hall pointed to half-past ten and father had not returned, mother, who had tried for our sakes to appear calm and cheerful, could hide her anxiety no longer, but sank sobbing into a chair. Aunt Ursel did not try to check her sobs, but said very gently, let us pray. In a moment we were on our knees, and I feel sure we all felt less alone, and less afraid after we had taken our trouble to God in prayer. Trichon stood just outside the door, but quite near enough to hear every word, and I heard her join a very hearty amen to ours for the safety of her master. Soon after my aunts took their leave, promising to come or send very early the next morning. As soon as I was alone with mother, I told her of my strange meeting with her von Delph, and of the message I had been unable to deliver. I felt as if I had in some way been the cause of the trouble through not having given my dear father warning on the moment of my return. But mother understood it all, and soothed me so tenderly, though she said her worst fears were confirmed. Her von Delph is, she told me afterwards, a Flemish noble who, though he has not openly joined the reformed party, has in more ways than one proved himself a true friend. Mother would not go to bed, for she had not lost hope that father might yet return, and she should not like him not to find her watching and waiting for him, besides, if he came, he would, she added, be cold and hungry, and a cheerful fire and hot soup would be very welcome. I begged to be allowed to sit up with her, but she would not hear of it, and at last, feeling quite worn out, I sobbed myself to sleep. Trichon, if she had gone to bed at all, must have risen very early, for long before daylight she was at mother's side with a tempting little breakfast, which she had great difficulty in coaxing her to eat. Poor Trichon! Her eyes were so red and swollen that I felt sure she must have cried a great deal, she was kindness itself, though more than once she said she always thought these new-fashioned ways would bring trouble on the house of Carlson. During the day many friends came with words of sympathy and offers of help, but we had no tidings of my father, in this way six long, weary weeks passed, mother seemed to grow paler and thinner every day. My aunt Ursel spent a good deal of time with us, she still visited the prison and made garments for the poor, but she moved and spoke in such a sad, weary way, that it almost made me cry even to look at her. But brighter days were drawing nearer than any of us really believed. I often helped Trichon by going on errands, and one morning I was crossing the market square when I saw Ravon Delph coming in an opposite direction. My first thought was to run to him, tell him of our trouble, and beg him to get some tidings of my father, but he waved me back and walked quickly onwards. A few moments later a poor, ragged boy dropped a crumpled paper at my feet, but he, too, hurried past me. I felt strongly impelled to pick up the almost dirty paper, and it was well that I did so, for it was a note addressed to my mother. I made all possible haste home, and we read it together. It was very brief, but as we read we were almost beside ourselves with joy. To Constanza Carlson. Leave the side door unlatched and watch tonight, but without a light. You may see your husband between 10 and 12 p.m. Per von Delph. Oh. 
How we watched and waited, mother and I, Aunt Ursula and Trichon, none of us daring to speak a word. A few minutes before midnight we heard a slight sound, then the latch was lifted, and we knew it was father who stood amongst us. Mother drew him into the sitting room, where a fire was burning, and for a little while they were alone together, then the door opened, and we all went in. Father looked ill and worn, and his clothes were torn and his hands bleeding, but he was free, and we were all very happy. He told us in a few words how the men who came to our house led him into a dark passage, there he was gagged and after being told that he was their prisoner, was taken, not to the common prison, but to a strongly built house at some distance from the town, his place of confinement being an upper room, the window of which was guarded with iron bars. Here he saw no one but the man who appeared to be his jailer. A small quantity of bread and water was placed before him each day. One day, much to his surprise, he found an iron file concealed in the bread, with a note bidding him use it to remove the bars from his windows, the next day a rope of sufficient length to reach the ground was also somehow conveyed to his room. Hervon Delph had not spared gold in bribing the jailer to give him these things, and had planned everything for his escape. But he could not stay with us, and we knew it would not be safe for him to do so. His friend was waiting for him with a boat, so after a prayer that was a thanksgiving and a hasty, though tender farewell, he was gone. 